Welcome to the American Citizens Abroad podcast. I'm Michelle, and today I'm chatting with Molly, an amazing French pastry chef who's living in Versailles, France. Welcome, Molly. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. Well, let's start at the beginning. Could you tell us a bit about your history when it comes to baking and as an expat? When did those two storylines intersect? Ooh, yes. I love that question because they both started very separately and then they didn't come together until quite a long time after the baking started. So just to give you the brief story, the baking started when I was about three years old, baking with my mom in the kitchen. I just absolutely loved it. And it was something that she did to get me occupied. And I think she could tell that I really enjoyed it too. In terms of France and living abroad, That didn't enter my mind until I actually studied abroad when I was in college, and I had my first taste of France, and I was just here for two weeks in Paris, and I just fell in love with it. Before that, I was not a Francophile at all, but walking around the city and seeing the architecture, the different culture, the food, the markets, I kept telling myself, how was I going to return and when could I make that happen? And it wasn't until seven years after that, maybe more than that, seven or eight, that I made it possible. In the meantime, I graduated from college. I was continuing to bake and I started working for a digital marketing firm doing online advertising for hotels but also constantly bringing baked goods into the office because I just loved it. And any excuse to be in the kitchen and make something new was a-okay with me and my team. (laughs) So, yeah, I, I did that for several years. And I remember in my interview, the HR person asking what my passion was. And I said baking. And I believe they really helped foster that because so many people would ask, When are you opening a bakery? When are you going to school? And finally, five years after that, it started to kind of take place in my brain. I went to a community college to try it out. And then I moved back home for a year to save and also to do all sorts of planning because, as we know, moving abroad is not easy. That's when the two came together because I looked at going to pastry school in the U.S. I found that it was extremely expensive if I wanted to go to a good school. Then I turned my sights abroad. I thought, you know, why not? Julia Child had gone to the Cordon Bleu. There's some amazing schools there. And so I started to do some research. I had never been to the Cordon Bleu in Paris to do a tour or anything like that before I applied. I was, yeah, very excited about it and did Lots and lots and lots and lots of planning beforehand to try to make the move a little bit smoother. So that is when the two paths crossed for sure. Could you speak about studying at the legendary Le Cordon Bleu? Could you describe your experience studying there? Absolutely. I absolutely adored it. I loved it. It was an amazing experience. I was at their older location, which is by Metro Vaugirard in the 15th arrondissement, and it was teeny tiny. There were three floors. In my class, there were 75 people. We would go into a space where a top chef 
would demonstrate three to four different recipes. And then after that, we were broken into smaller groups of 15 people to go into what is called practical. For that, you go into the kitchen and you're actually making one to three of the things that the chef has shown you. So you are putting that into practical use, so to say. In terms of just general feelings, I was just excited every single day to be there. I didn't mind the hat, the necktie, the (laughs) the uniform. (laughs) Absolutely adored it. And I was learning so much. In the U.S., I had only been making cookies and brownies and cakes. Whereas going to the Cordon Bleu, obviously, I was learning French pastry, which is extremely different. My passion for that specifically was definitely founded at that school. Because when I graduated, I just continued along that path. I would say an amazing experience. I would highly recommend it. Something that might be interesting to folks that are listening is that there are two very well-known schools in Paris. There's Ferrandi and there's Le Cordon Bleu. Le Cordon Bleu is very, very well known internationally. And so it's really great if you plan on, you know, going back to your home country, working there. Like in the U.S., I had absolutely no problem getting a job with my certification in pastry. Whereas in France specifically, it's not very well known. So that's a very interesting little tidbit. And then Ferrandi, on the other hand, it's completely opposite. It's lesser known worldwide, but it is very well known in France. I believe it's getting more well known around the world, specifically in America, due to bigger chefs who have been there. That's something to consider. Like if anyone is thinking about going to the Cordon Bleu in terms of what your plans are after graduating. Speaking about after graduating from Le Cordon Bleu, you had an internship. Could you tell us about that? By being a student, we had the opportunity to do an internship of two months at a bakery that either you chose or they helped you choose. I had the possibility of working for people like Pierre Hermé or another very, very, very well-known pastry shop, Serville Lignac, or I bet Cedric Grulay is probably on the list, something like that. They're always looking for young bakers to help out with certain tasks. But I decided to go with a very small pastry shop in the 10th arrondissement called La Fabrique Gâteau. And it is run by two women chefs. And that is it. And it was an amazing opportunity because I was able to go in and learn absolutely everything about running a pastry shop, but also about putting together everything that went in the case every single day. So it was a very well-rounded experience for me. Completely in French, so that was a little intimidating, but great as well. But yeah, I chose that because I wanted to learn as much as I possibly could and really take advantage of that situation. Whereas if I had chosen a bigger name, I would have been placed in a warehouse situation where I might have been making tart shells for about four weeks. And after your internship, you returned to Texas. How long were you there until you went back to Paris? The original plan was to be back just for three months. But it extended to a year, which wasn't a bad thing because while I was back home, I was able to look into what visa that I wanted to get next. So, yeah, I was researching how I could come back, how I could make it happen working in France as an American. While I was in the U.S., I really took advantage of 
just furthering my skills in pastry. So I worked at three different bakeries in Dallas while I was there, and it was just fantastic. I found that my skill level was extremely high, even straight out of school, just because of the level of education that I received at the Cordon Bleu. I had a blast. I really enjoyed it. Sometimes people go to culinary school and it ends up that it really is just a hobby, whereas others really do enjoy working in the kitchen scenario. I I just loved it. I loved the hustle and bustle. So that's what I did while I was back in Texas. And when did you start teaching others to create French pastries? So that was part of my journey to make it back to Paris. When I came back to Paris, I was here just for three months, really passing out my resume, trying to find a place to work. And I started working as a pastry chef at a chateau in the south of France, and then finally ended up at a culinary school in Paris where I helped out. I wasn't actually teaching. I was really helping out and learning how they ran their schools which was excellent information for what I do now. It wasn't until later when I moved to Strasbourg with my boyfriend, Francois, (laughs) (laughs) that I turned more freelance and I started doing catering. I started working at lots of different places to further improve my skills. And one of those places the person that was running it really recognized that I had a very good way of teaching others how to do certain things in pastry. And she really helped to foster that in me and invited me to start teaching at her place because she did smaller workshops and things like that. And so I did that and that was a huge success. And so she invited me to do my very own workshop, and that was sold out, which was amazing. And then I started teaching out of our apartment in Strasbourg, which was a lot of fun, but the space wasn't set up very well for it. So it wasn't until 2019 when we moved to Versailles where the teaching really, really took off. And that was because I just had the space to do it. I felt like I was in a good place. Like I had a very, very good knowledge base at that point to where I felt comfortable teaching specific techniques to bakers in particular. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. So I started teaching out of our home here. I started teaching online during the pandemic and I had a publisher reach out about a cookbook and it's just been continuing from there. It's great. In addition to in-person classes, you have virtual classes. Mm -hmm. Do you find you have different challenges teaching online versus in person? And what are the benefits of each? So challenges, I would say like the technology sometimes is a challenge because I'll try to look at someone's batter and maybe the image isn't as clear as I would like. So I can't give as good of a response as I want. But Mm -hmm. in terms of the advantages, there are So many for people that are looking to learn a new skill, because by taking a pastry class from me online, you were doing it in your kitchen with your equipment. And that is huge because when people do cooking classes, when they're on vacation, often they're using a professional oven. They're using tools that they don't have or they don't have access to or very difficult to find 
Whereas all of my recipes, they are built around using things that you might already have in your kitchen or that are just super, super easy to pick up. Same is said for the ingredients as well. I actually now have a group of, I think it's now 2,000 bakers that have taken my online classes. And I actually dropped a little note and I'm like, hey, have you seen pistachio paste in your area? I've seen it on Amazon here. If you guys are interested in that, I was looking to do something on a pistachio flavor. What's the interest level? Would you want me to tell you how you can make your own pistachio paste? So it's just fantastic. And then in terms of being able to give direct instructions to people that are taking it virtually, it's the same exact thing. So I can actually look in and say, oh, your macaron batter, it's a little bit too thick still. I can see that and I can say, you know, you need to fold just a couple more times or your pate choux dough. It looks perfect. You're doing an awesome job. So just to have that ability to reach bakers all over the world and spread this knowledge is absolutely fantastic. In terms of in-person classes, it's just a really incredible, intimate experience because they're all private. So you have to book in advance. Yeah, I've got the French music going and some little treats out. It's just a very, very, very special experience where I'm able to give you any tips that you're looking for. I can really change up the class based on the skill level of the people that are coming, which I think is really fantastic. And it just gives you a taste of life in France, too. Yeah, I had this one this morning. It was just a great experience. It was so much fun. I I love it when people come here, too. Are your classes in English or French? They are in English. I have tried teaching them in French, and it was the first time I burned something in a class. It was too much to keep track of. (laughs) (laughs) I've still got a couple more years. Once I'm, like, fluent, 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 then maybe. But (laughs) English for now. And you mentioned your cookbook. When did you publish your cookbook and your ebook? What was the process like creating them? I had a publisher reach out in January 2020 about a book. They had seen my creations and they wanted me to create a book for them. And who was I to say no? Uh, <laughs> so I used the pandemic to completely pivot my business to online, but also write a cookbook with 60 different recipes. And the cookbook is all based around the fundamentals of pastry, which I adore teaching. Absolutely love it. Because when I was in school and also after, even now, it's just you look at pastries in the shop. You look at recipes for pastries. And you find that all of them include the same sort of these base recipes like creme pâtissière, so pastry cream, or a ganache, or some sort of whipped cream, a creme, things like that. And so they all include those pieces, but in different ways, in different flavors, in different textures. And so if you know those, you're able to make so many different things. And so that's what I covered in my cookbook. Each chapter started with a fundamental recipe, and then it went into what you could create with that. 
everything from cookies to tarts to cream puffs to really elaborate cakes like a fraisier or a santanere. And it's just all of the classics using ingredients that are very, very easy to find. But everything tastes like or better than what you would find in a pastry shop here. In terms of the ebook, that was just me filling a demand by my clients. So I published a macaron ebook with base shell recipe and then lots of different filling options because I found that my clients really wanted that. And it was my pleasure to put it together. Pivoting a little bit. Is there an American expat community in Versailles? If so, who is it composed of? There is a women's English-speaking group in Versailles. There is also... I'm going to say it wrong. I think it's like the revolutionary women or something like that. I know it was based in the U.S. I, yeah, I'm not sure of the name. I do feel like, and I haven't joined it yet, and I really want to, I believe that there is an American group associated with the Versailles Chateau. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I feel like I've been here for three to four years now, and there's still some things to do for sure. (laughs) During the time you've lived in France, did you face any difficulties as an American living there? I faced a lot of difficulties. (laughs) (laughs) I like to tell people who ask, how did I make the move, that France just really makes you work for it. And it's the people that really persevere that are able to end up here. The visa application process is not easy. Actually, dealing with bureaucracy here is not easy either. (laughs) It's complicated, and it's 60-page dossiers and going to appointments and having them tell you, oh, you forgot so-and-so document and it not being on the list of documents that you were supposed to bring. Them losing paper where it can happen to me. Yeah, not so great. (laughs) but. Yeah, I would say the a good thing to know, and you hear this a lot when you're researching to move to France, and it is absolutely true, is that no isn't exactly no. No is pretty much ask me again another way, and <laughs> we'll see what we can do. I'll give you a really good example. I went to renew my visa when we moved to Versailles, and brought in all of the applicable paperwork. I had just moved from Strasbourg, and so I had applied in Strasbourg, but never received my actual visa. I just received the temporary one while you wait for the actual one. Walked in with Francois. It was his first time to go with me to an appointment. I just looked at him. I was like so nervous, and I said, something always goes wrong. (laughs) And I feel like those were the final, like the last words. Because sure enough, we sit down, she starts asking for all the paperwork, we get to the end, I had all of the paperwork labeled, easy to hand over, everything was checked off, and she looks at her system and she said, now now what happened in Strasbourg? We have absolutely no information on you. Last came back and said, yeah, so we don't have any information about your previous visa. There's absolutely no way that we can do this renewal. And I looked at Francois, and I was like, see, something always happens. He looked at her, and she was like, well, what can we do? She was like, well, let me go talk to my superiors again. She was gone for probably 10 minutes. I was very close to tears. 
because as a expat living abroad, that is your lifeline. Like if you don't have your visa, you're on the next plane home. And yeah, she came back and she was like, you know what? We can't do the renewal, but we can do it as a new application. Typically for a new application, that would mean that I would have to go all the way back to the U.S., apply there, wait for the visa, and then come back to France. And I just looked at her and I was like, how is that going to work? And she's like, well, you've, you've sent in all the paperwork. I just need one more form from you. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it ended up working out. <laughs> Do you find that organizations who represent Americans living abroad are helpful in resolving any issues or specifically American problems you've had? I would say yes and no. I think that organizations are absolutely fantastic for meeting people, but also for fielding questions, fielding questions about finding a hairdresser in your area for figuring out how long I should wait for like my driver's license to come in before I reach out. I would say though, for like more specific information, what I have found. So for example, information like what visa should I apply for? That would be where I'd be a little bit careful about asking questions about that. And the reason being is that I've done that before. (laughs) I've gotten steered down so many different pathways. In that instance, it's actually better to go to the source and ask. So I think using both, but also not being afraid to approach if it's like an issue with taxes. Yeah, if it's like a super easy question, when are my taxes due or or something like that, I think that you'll get a great range of responses back, which is fantastic. But if it's something very specific about I have XYZ business here and I'm not sure what my tax percentage rate is and da 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 da, the best is to not be afraid to go to the actual organization that takes care of that because they are extraordinarily helpful and it'll cut it like that. You'll be like, yes. (laughs) Do you have any advice you'd like to share with Americans thinking about moving to France? I would say be extremely prepared, be patient and open. That would be my best advice. And also give it a little bit of time because when you first move, Everything is extremely overwhelming, sometimes in the best of ways and sometimes not so much. So by giving yourself time to really acclimate to a new culture, being open to that new culture and speaking the language, if at all possible, or at least be learning it or knowing a couple of phrases, that helps um, tremendously. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share? Oh, I would say come visit Versailles. Versailles is beautiful. Everyone goes to the Chateau, but go see the city. It's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us today, Molly. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Michelle. The American Citizens Abroad podcast is a monthly podcast that is published the second Tuesday of each month. It is edited and produced by me, Michelle, and is a product of American Citizens Abroad. You can find us on Twitter at ACA underscore podcast, on Facebook at American Citizens Abroad podcast, or you can email us at podcast at americansabroad.org. Remember, give us a good rating on Apple Podcasts so other Americans living abroad can find us. 